You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Well, what's up, all of our Liberty loving friends? This is another episode of Good Morning Liberty live from Liberty Con in Miami, Florida. Nate and Charlie here, and we're sitting down with Lee Schoolin. Lee, you just did a breakout session. Yes. We heard it went really well. Yes. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm just so happy to be around all the Liberty loving people. So give, a, give our listeners a little bit of your, your backstory. Okay. Uh, I am made in China. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was born in China in 1958. The reason I say that is because uh, in 1958, China started so-called Great Leap Forward. And um, before that, it was uh, nationalizing all the private property and uh, uh, executing all the rich people. And then the great leap forward is pretend to uh, have ability to uh, rise up to the world's second uh, economic, non-economic power, just like today, Xi Jinping dream about it. And uh, but, uh, their way of doing it is to uh, produce enough steel. If they believe, Mao believed, if uh, China produce uh, more steel than Great Britain and United States, they can be the world economic power. But they didn't know how to do it, so they uh, make the whole country stop whatever everybody's doing. Universities, hospitals, and factories, and farmers, they all go out to produce steel. How did they produce steels? Uh, melt down the metal stuff, and burn the chairs and tables, and cut all the trees. And of course, they destroyed everything. And in addition, they cut, they tried to kill all the birds. And so, follow that in 1963 was a three years great famine. So that's how I grew up. People are dying on the street. I watch, just walking on the street, people are sitting there and just lay down and die because wow. they were starved. And China called that the three years of natural disaster because they created, they blame the nature. And then after that, it's 1966 to 1976, the 10 years of uh, Cultural Revolution, because uh, my family were uh, the top 2% at that time in China. 
And so we were, I was born into a black family. China divided the society into black and red. It was very segregated. And uh, I have no uh, privilege or right to participate in any after-school curricular activities because I was black. We go to the train station, we have to enter through the uh, gate for black only because uh, we have the reds have all the privilege and get the seats and get on there for them. and if there's no seats that they don't want for some reason they don't want us to ride the train and they can stop us at any time we, we're beaten and spit on or kicked whatever they want to do to us because we're just because we're black wow. and uh, so people don't know that China Chinese people are the most racist people <laughs> until, <laughs> until today. They still, because they hate Americans. And uh, it's not mainly by color, it's by their classical struggle, you know, the communist doctrine. And uh, so, Cultural Revolution were suffered a lot. My father was imprisoned, and uh, our family, many people imprisoned or commit suicide or beaten to death. And we were exiled for nine years to do hard labors. And uh, so I know firsthand the evil of communism and the, the evil of co uh, command economy, plant economy. That's why I'm here, because this is uh, um, a place people uh, cherish freedom and market economy. They champion for it, they fight for it. So I'm very happy to be here. So, go ahead, Charlie. That's amazing. So, um, do you live in the United States now? Yes. Then when did you move here? I left China in 1984 after China reopened and, and uh, uh, started reform. And I came to United States as a graduate student. And then uh, I was going back to China when they, a short period of time seems like they're trying to embrace capitalism and uh, a lot more freedom. Then uh, 1989 Tiananmen massacre happened and I, I decided I want to stay and became a U.S. citizen. So I live in Hawaii right now, but uh, I think I have uh, God commissioned me to go around the world to talk about the evil of communism and use my personal story because that's very powerful. So powerful. Well, people think that something like that could never ha happen here. And they, they like to think that uh, the ideas were good. There was good intentions behind what they were doing, right? Uh, it just had the wrong people in control. And uh, what do you think when you hear people say things like that? Oh, when the um, last two years, the cancel culture and this and that movement, the first reaction is, I have been there. I've seen this exactly like the beginning of cultural revolution. And I knew if it let go without control and let government have their way and what's uh, waiting ahead of us. Because the communism uh, succeeded in China is because it sounds so good. They told the poor people it's not fair and somebody's so rich, you're so poor. It's not fair, they have property you don't have. We will provide equality. We will make sure you get free, uh, fair uh, share of everything. And uh, it sounds so good, but nobody asked the question, how? So they joined the bandwagon and supported the communism, and then they soon they realized 
all the uh, wealth creators in the society were punished, killed, imprisoned, and all their property, all their uh, uh, factories and stores and everything was confiscated and became nationalized. Soon, yes, there was equality. Equally, nobody had anything. Everybody's starving. And wow. then cultural revolution is the political correctness. That was the driving force for the cultural revolution. And uh, knock down uh, statues, change street names. Chinese had done that, been there. And uh, our country, I was so terrified to see that, and uh, they vandalized some uh, statues, and uh, just because that this particular person owned some slaves or something, and it, this is so wrong. It's so wrong, and they, they divided people by colors. This, uh, they say, they want me to join the uh, Chinese life matters or Asian life matters. I say all life matters. Freedom matters more. And uh, we jokingly, we talk to other Chinese, you came from a country, you have no rights, no freedom to a country of free and you ask for privilege? Why don't you go home and ask for privilege? Hmm. Try. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How does it make you feel to see those same things happening again? Are you worried that we're yes. going right down that path? Very worried. That's why I became more uh, outspoken. I quit my job just because I want to be available. Whoever asked me to talk anywhere in the world, Africa, Europe, Asia, Middle East, I've been everywhere. I need to talk. And especially young people. They live in the world is so free. The internet is borderless. They don't know how free that is, how important. If you say, okay, today you have no more Google, no more uh, internet, no more uh, Instagram, they will, they will not understand. But 1.4 Chinese people don't have that. Google is illegal. And uh, they don't think this is some, they thought they were born into it. They, they felt they entitled, but they don't know these are the things that earlier generation created, fought for it in the free society. And it is sad to see the, the shift um, from Americans who are so privileged, so free. It's, it's almost incomprehensible how um, we as humans even figured that out um, because most of the world, as you know, lives under tyranny. Yes. Um, and so, but it's only as good as if we can keep it. Yeah. And so, uh, and that's what you're fighting for, which I think is so, which is incredible. Now you said you quit your job, you're available to speak. And so what, is that what your day looks like now? You're going around uh, touring the world, yes. sharing <laughs> your story. I that has to be incredible. I just came from Norway. Oslo. Uh, last week I was there at the Mount Pelerin Society meeting and and uh, this year so far I have been to 18 countries. Wow. And uh, tour speaking non-stop and fortunately 
some organizations like Students for Liberty, they will pay my airfare and the hotel, so that's how I can afford to travel. I've been to Africa, uh, to Kenya, not Kenya this year, uh, Uganda and Tanzania, and to uh, talk to hundreds of young people. And uh, a lot of countries in Europe, uh, not Europe, Europe included in Africa, they, they were debating, should we follow the US model or China model? I said, there's no China model. <laughs> so I have to yell so loud and have to give all the evidence and the facts. There's no China model. You are going towards distraction. And uh, you finally, you're uh, starting to be independent and uh, to have economic freedom. You need to grab that and treasure that and utilize that. And it's not so-called American model. Whatever model is correct, the free market is the way to go. There's no China model. I have to tell everybody there's no China you know, model. I remember a story, and I, I forget the name of the, the town or the area in China, but what, have you talked about the story between this pact between the farmers who decided that they were actually going to... Xiaogang. Yes. Uh, so could, could you tell us a little bit about that story? Because I think that's such a great example of the, the system that actually could works, we know works. Yeah, I'm so happy you're, you're, you know the history. So-called China model, why I say no China model is um, when this, uh, at the uh, end of uh, 1970, Chinese people were still starving, and especially in the countryside. Uh, why? Because the command economy uh, will order the farmers to plant certain crops and give a very ridiculous high uh, quota for the yield of the, the, the field. And because it's a plant economy, they don't know the soil, they don't know the condition, they don't know the weather, they don't know the resources. So nothing's produced. I lived there. I remember we put down more seeds than we could harvest. harvest. And so we always owe government and we, we were so starving as a farmer. And uh, so this uh, village called Xiaogang, there are 18 families, they said, we, we can't let this go anymore because just uh, uh, the month before, eight people died of starvation in their village. Wow. Mm. And they said, we can't let this continue. Our children are starving to death. So they got together, a couple of leaders said, okay, we're going to divide the land in our village to, uh, by head and uh, then we're going to decide what we are going to plan on the land we, we have t title to use. And uh, this is, they knew, they knew this is totally against the uh, government policy and uh, against communism, but they said, we have no choice. So they secretly signed the contract with each other. They used the blood, uh, they bit their fingers and used blood to sign, wow. saying, Okay, we will do this. When the government came to stop us or put us in prison or execute us, the rest of the survivors have to promise to take care of the, the other families. We are together in this. So they did it. And it was very successful because they knew their land. And uh, somebody 
grow this, somebody grow that, somebody have chicken, somebody have pigs. Then the consequence of that, the result of that was they had start trading too because there was no market before. They start not st only because uh, they got the exercise some freedom to their own land and also they, uh, the byproduct was market. And uh, in one season, they were not, not starving anymore. They, their goal was very low. Their goal was not to become rich. Their goal was to not starve. So then uh, other villagers saw that. They envied, they said, we want to do that. And some village chief said, go ahead. Some village chief said, no, 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 you can't. But anyway, soon the, uh, the news got to the central government. And the central government sent some uh, delegation to the village to check it out. And this 18 families said, oh, we're doomed. But to their surprise, the central government said, looks okay, go ahead. Wow. And that's when Deng Xiaoping famously, famously said, doesn't matter if it's a white cat or black cat, as long as you can catch mice, it's a good cat. That's the only thing he did right. He just let people to have very limited economic freedom. Very limited. So uh, today, fast forward 40 years later, these 18 families still none of them rich. They were just not starving. And the government, of course, uh, built a, a museum and uh, the history of this family, they thought, make this place a tourist attraction, but nobody went there because, again, it was a plan. And the museum was uh, is just wasted there. Those people were still not much better. And the government started telling them just this year, say, okay, I think you guys did what you did, and uh, but after all, the government could do better. So why don't you go return to the, uh, the land to get controlled by the government. And uh, that's the, the situation. So I told my uh, audience in, uh, in Asia and Africa, I said, this is you call China model. That's China miracle. Yeah, this, uh, of course, they walk out of poverty with their own feet, but they're not getting anywhere further. And I saw an interesting documentary that kind of um, expanded on that a little bit, that when, after that happened, when the central government figured out, like, oh, it's the free market that actually produces an mm -hmm. abundance, because, like you said, they started trading with one another, because not only were they not starving, but they were able to produce a little bit of abundance that they could trade, um, which, which helped out. And I remember seeing this documentary, and in the 80s, the, the Chinese government first created four economic free zones. Yes. Is what they called them. They still have and that. that. Uh, that's expanded to a little over like 2,000 of them now. Is that right? That much. Because that's what we were talking about. They created this uh, free trade zone for, to get the American uh, outsourcing uh, factories built. And uh, they, their intention is to get the American technology, machineries. And then soon they also learned the management style and everything. But 
The reason they create these special zones is they have no intention to implement it all over China. We still ask this question 40 years later. Why can't we just not have these zones and like the whole China became like right. that? They say no, because we need control. Wow. That, that's their word, we need control. No, we don't want the whole China become free, economically free. Another thing was uh, so-called China miracle is China had the hukou system, means everybody have a residence card and uh, you only allowed to live in the, this place, not even cross the uh, street. And uh, everybody carry that. If you, you move to another city, you don't belong to, you cannot have a job, you cannot go, to, uh, your children cannot go to school or whatever. So they lessen that control. So the people, for example, they're from uh, Beijing could move to Shanghai or vice versa. So that little bit of freedom of movement was the biggest driving force of the rapid development of China because of migrant uh, workers from the poor area and people ban their land because uh, they, they don't, the mountainous area, they don't produce anything or, or desert. Mm. So they went to the city, became the uh, labor force for the construction and everything. So that freedom of movement, we call internal migration, really make the huge difference. Now, the government still uh, those migrant workers, their children still cannot go to school in the city they don't belong to. That's why they all had the children left behind in the village. That's a huge social wow. problem. The great, uh, the grandparents and the parentless uh, children are in village doing the farm work. And then the migrant workers in the city, they're not entitled to any medical care or hospital or anything. And uh, most of them, they cannot own the car, so they pay a lot of money to buy or rent license plates and put over their car so they can become, they can use their car or become a taxi driver. They still control everything. Now they, they start to say, well, Beijing is built, finished already, so we don't need migrant workers. They kick everybody out of, uh, and reinforce the uh, control of movement now. Wow. They're going backwards. Every day, little by little, it's scary. That's, I, mm -hmm. I hate to hear that that, that that is happening, that things are still so terrible. I see they're having some, uh, some more economic problems right now that have been, that have been popping up. But um, I, know that, uh, I know that we're short on time here, but I wanted you to just let everyone know uh, where they can go to follow all the work that you're doing and Support watch you. all. You've done tons of interviews with everyone. So w where can people go to support you and see all the things that you're doing? Uh, my past interviews, you can find most of them in the, uh, on YouTube. Just type my name, L-I, Lee. Schooland is a school and land, two words combined with two L's. And uh, also, uh, I don't belong to any organization because I go to China to do my work. And uh, they background check me. If I say I don't belong to anybody, they can't they don't have a reason to not let me in. So mm. that's my strategy. But on the down hand, downside is I don't have any funding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but people, my friends, do help me. And uh, I'm on Facebook, on Instagram, on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, but I don't really know how to use them yet. But, yeah. but you can find me. Do you, wor just do you worry about the government 
hearing what you're out here saying on some of these really big radio shows that you've been on? Uh, do you ever worry about that? Um, that's a very good question. Um, I don't worry as much as my parents, my brother, my relatives, and so I stop telling them what I do. And that's number one. Number two, I'm really watched by Chinese government when I go back. They follow me and they threaten me and try to intimidate me, but I survived the Cultural Revolution and everything. I know how to deal with them. Mm. I'm smarter than they are. Mm. So I, my, uh, uh, my strategy for myself is I'm a, uh, a person with faith. God will be with me and I will go until the day I can't anymore. So I'm not going to stop before it happens. So I'm just keep going. And you're just going to tell the truth. Yes. And the truth. That's important. Yeah, so important. Well, Lee, it was so great meeting you and talking to you. Um, hopefully everyone goes and checks out and supports you in any way that they can uh, to spread this message. So, again, wonderful to meet you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you very much for having me.